The king arose in the night, a full moon illuminated his steps. His shadow loomed large on the walls of the palace. He couldn't figure it out. It rattled him, especially on nights when he tried to think about his effectiveness as a king. Men and women looked to him for wisdom. A nation needed to know that his mind was secure and serene. But tonight it was as if everything he thought was true was flying to the stars in smoke. His great success seemed only a chasing after the winds, a futile grasping for the sands of time. So it had come to this moment. He must stop chasing and start thinking. Our lives move fast. And in and, and my life, sometimes I, I, can't, I can't seem to catch up with it. And some days I don't want it to be that way. And it kind of feels that way. So many boxes to check off, so many things to do, places to go, people to see. And you know what that life is like because many of you are living that kind of a, a life too. And so in the middle of, of some of those days, I reach out for the only thing that can anchor my life, the only thing that can hold me in the chute, getting ready to, to get out into that rodeo of life. And that's a, a Hardy's bacon and egg sandwich. Bacon and egg biscuit is going to do it. It sometimes just works. And I don't have a lot of them. I don't, I don't go there very often. But, but the other day, I felt like I just I need it. If I'm going to keep going, I just need it. And you know, you know God, God made a chicken. He made an egg. God made a pig. He made the bacon. So that's all good stuff. And, and the Bible blesses that. And so I thought I will partake in this blessing. But the one thing I do to be a little bit on the healthier side, a little bit on the healthier side, is I always throw away the fat half of the biscuit. See, there's a thin half, there's a fat half. You isolate the fat half, that's the thicker one, and you toss it away. And that way you feel better. You feel like everything is, is better and you're more blessed in that way. So I take that, but I don't want to just throw it away. I want to use it for an important purpose, a good person purpose. I use it to feed the seagulls. And the seagulls, they all look for me. They see my car coming and they sort of start hovering overhead. And I crumble up that, that fat half of the biscuit and then I toss it out the window, and they all have a biscuit party, and they're all happy, and then I'm happy, and the whole world is good. And then the life just sort of keeps on going. So the other day, I'm up out in front of the, the, the fresh, farm fresh, and, and I'm right there adjacent to the parties, and I, I pick the fat half of the biscuit, and I crumble up, and I throw it out the window. But I felt something go with it was the paper of the biscuit. The paper of the biscuit just went flying out the window. Now, I was a Boy Scout. I don't litter. I remember Lady Bird Johnson. She said, you shouldn't litter. Keep America beautiful. Some of you remember Lady Bird Johnson. And I remember that Indian who used to have the little tear coming down his face when you threw something out the window. Little tear coming down, down his face. The Indian. And it turns out later on that I learned that he was really Italian. Uh, and that's a true story. You can look that up. So, so I toss it out, and I think the paper's out there, and I look in the rearview mirror, and I see the paper starting to fly around, and the seagulls are all having a good time. And so I go, oh, i got to pick up the paper. So I park the car. I get out. I start walking, and suddenly two Virginia Beach police officers pull up in their car, and they get out, and they stare at me. <laughs> and I just froze. And they said, sir, did you just throw that paper out of the window? I said, well, yeah, but I was trying to feed the seagulls. Uh, that's a likely story, sir. You're trying to feed seagulls? So, yeah, well, actually, the seagulls are witnesses. They're just right over there. You can ask them. They're, they're eating. You can see they're, they're eating the, the, the biscuit top. They said, sir, did you throw the paper out the window? I said, yeah, but I was, just, I was just going over to pick it up. Oh, you were going to pick it up? Yes, I was going to pick it up. 
and they smiled and, and they released me. I thought I was going to be first up against the car, handcuffed and, and taken in for a second over seagulls. You know, and I'm wondering, are you that desperate for things to do um, that you shake down a pastor in a parking lot with seagulls? But that's another story for another day. Uh, you might want to tell this to your Virginia Beach police officer friends. Please, I'm just trying to be a nice guy feeding seagulls. So, um, so then they drive away, and as they drive away, I see them chomping on their own bacon and egg biscuits in the, in the car. But sometimes your, your life is moving so fast, you're trying to, to get here and get there and go here and go there. And it's velocity that sometimes defeats us. We are driven by the velocity of life. We are defeated by the velocity of life. We are diminished by the velocity of life. Somehow we know, we know somehow in our souls we are more than the velocity of life. The why questions of Ecclesiastes drive us. Why is life so hard? Why is life unfair? Why are people unkind? Why did it happen to me, her, us, them? What's God's purpose in all of this? Why is there so much corruption? Why did the hurricane, the divorce, the economy, the lack of security, the injustice crash into my life? When the storm hits, we are worn out by the whys. Solomon wears us out with the whys. I ran into a good question, so I thought I'd share it with you. It's in a book called Enough, True Measures of Money, Business, and Life by John C. Bogle, founder and former CEO of the Vanguard Mutual Fund Group. He's a, a strategy guy. He's a money guy. He's an investment guy. Fortune magazine named him one of the four investment giants of the 20th century. This is his seventh book. And in this book, he tells a story about a movie that he once watched. And this question jumped out of the movie. This man in the movie was, was trying to do something and, and help some people. And he put his entire fortune out there and he risked everything and he lost everything. So he finds himself in personal bankruptcy court in the film's final sequence. There the judge, he writes, finds it hard to believe that the only assets owned by this successful and once wealthy litigator are $14 and a portable radio. Incredulous, she asks, where are the things by which one measures one's life? Where are the things by which one measures one's life? And this giant of the investment community says, I almost jumped out of my seat at the profundity of the question. Where are the things by which one measures one's life? But he no longer has any things. He has stood up for the worthy cause of children who have died and families who have been devastated. He has put his career on the line and he has lost everything. Should we measure him by what he has or by who he is? It seems rather out of character for Hollywood to deal with how we measure our lives. But the question remains, what are the things by which we should measure our lives? I'm still searching for the ultimate answer to that question, but I know that we can never let things as such, the material possessions we may come to accumulate, become the measure of our lives. Today, I fear we are becoming a society in which things are the measure of the man. And then on the next page, he waxes biblical. Now, at 79 years of age, I've also lived long enough to recognize the wisdom of that pointed warning from Ecclesiastes. The giant of investment 
one of the four investment giants of the 20th century, a man who knows about, about making money and making money on top of making money, a man who's a strategy kind of a thinker. He says, I've also lived long enough to recognize the wisdom of that pointed warning from Ecclesiastes. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. But even as what you have may come and go, who you are, your character will endure. Where are the things by which one measures one's life? What is the gift? Ecclesiastes 3 1 through 14 and 22, reading from the King James, and then at verse 9, I will switch to the NIV. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, sadness, and a time to dance, joy, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, which is an interesting relational observation, a time to hug, and a time not to hug. Mm-mm. Not hugging you. Mm-mm. What you did. Mm-mm. What you said. Not hugging. Not a time to hug. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend, to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. In the message, it puts it this way, a right time to shut up and another to speak up. Pretty straightforward. Time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We cannot really figure it out. And, and we know that everything is created. Everything comes from something. And where did God come from? And we can't figure it out but it's in our hearts that we long to know and to understand these things. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. It's decidedly God's gift to to live your life and, and embrace your life and enjoy your life. But there's something else that you have to put 
in place here. That has to come into perspective. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And the word fear always kind of derails me because it's not fear about being afraid of something. It's not fear, this emotion of dread that overwhelms you. It's, it's a reverential awe. It's understanding the glory and the majesty and the power of God. It's like that old hymn, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Just you know that he is bigger than everything and more than everything and more than anything that you could ever imagine. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who loves him, the scripture says. God does all this so that we will know him and he wants to know us. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? And, and Psalm is, Solomon is somehow saying you have to live within this framework that God has given. You have to understand the parameters of his kingdom. You have to understand the gift and the giver of the gift and what the gift really is. How does God work within this framework that Solomon provides us with? Before I, I tell you that, I want to show you a, a quick clip, it's one of my favorite clips from the movie Rudy, where this young man who's struggling to, to play football at Notre Dame ends up in a church talking to a priest, and he just quite can't figure it out. Rudy. Taking your appeal to a higher court. I'm desperate. If I don't get in next semester, it's over, done. Notre Dame doesn't accept senior transfers. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the problem. Praying is something we do in our time. The answers come in God's time. Have I done everything I possibly can? Can you help me? Son. In 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. There is a God, and I'm not him. Rudy wants to know how is God working in my life? How does this work, this thing called my life? There are three ways that God is always working. They're in your bulletin. They were in the e-bulletin that went out. Let me give them to you once again. Intervention, interaction, and interaction. Intervention is what we all want. Intervention is God shows up and takes care of it. You got the job. You got the deal. It all worked out. You, you, you found the person that you were going to love for the rest of your life. It all just is working out. The Red Sea has parted and God has led you into the promised land. It's the intervention of God. God shows up and there's not enough 
food for everybody to have lunch, and God makes lunch for 5,000 people happen. God intervenes, and God does that, and I've seen God do that. I've seen him do that in the life of this church. I've seen him do it in my life, but that is not the biggest part of what God does. Intervention happens, and you really can't do a whole lot about it because when God wants to move for the purposes of his kingdom, he moves. And you might have said a prayer, but he's the one that moves because there's something at stake that's bigger than any of us can comprehend or wrap our, our minds around. Intervention, this is what we all want, for God to show up and take care of it. But there's two other ways that God works most of the time. Interaction. This is what God wants to do through us and with us. Interaction is saying, I need somebody. Will you be that person? I need to get this done. Will you help me to get it done? I need to know that you're in this with me. I can't get this done apart from you getting this done. Either personally or together as a church, there are things that God wants us to interact with him on, and it gets done because of interaction. So that's how God works through interaction. I, I, I wasn't going to say this, but it's just, I can't get it off my mind. I got word of an interaction just this morning. And so I'm just going to put it out there. If any of you wants to interact with this, if God says, I want you to interact with this, then you just let me know. I'll be over here after the service. I got word that 40 to 60 orphans, let's say 50 orphans, to put it right in the middle, in West Africa, where we go, to Togo, uh, are starting up in school and they don't have the fees for their books, for their you know, lunch that they get, which is not that, that much for whatever it is that, that they need for school. We already pay the teachers. You give, when you give to a community mission fund, one of the things that you do is you pay the teachers in the school to teach all year, all year long. And it's, it's really not, not very much money at all. But these kids need all these supplies. And about for 50 kids, that I just got uh, I just got a text before I came out here. It's like six hundred to a thousand dollars somewhere in there, depending on if it's forty kids or if it's or if it's sixty kids. And if some of the kids are older; they need a little bit more. That's what God says. I need you to interact with me on this. Can we get this done for these orphans? Can we take care of these children who who have so little and who don't know where to go to get whatever it is they need because there is no place really to go interaction is when God wants us to do something and we get it done volunteering in Awana God wants to do something with kids and we we need people to volunteer and you get it done leaning into to your your giftedness at church so that every ministry in church is cared for in a proper way everybody connected to ministry and mission everybody looking like Jesus this is interaction it's how God works. Intervention, he takes care of it. Interaction, he says, I need you. Interaction, interaction, maybe the toughest because interaction is what we all need on the inside to change so our lives can be effective. Maybe you're struggling with some, some guilt over something and maybe it's even false guilt, something you don't even need to be worried about or, or guilty about. And, and God needs to be at work in your life to to help you figure that out, but you have to want to figure that out. Or maybe you're angry a lot when you shouldn't be angry. Maybe you keep blowing up at stuff and people don't want to be around you a whole lot anymore because you just blow up all the time. And God says, let's fix the anger thing. Let's look at the anger thing. 
Or maybe there's just a, a lack of motivation in your life. There's an ennui. There's a, there's a lethargy. And God's saying, what's that about? We've got to fix that in you so you can have the kind of life that brings honor to the gifts I've given you and honor to the kingdom. So the interaction is when there's something inside of us and we all have something that God's saying, I want to heal that. I want to fix that. I want to, I want to make you a better you. John Orberg asks a lot of questions that go in that direction. How do you become God's best version of you? How do you assess the well-being of your soul? Is your soul at rest this morning? Or is there sort of an agitation at the core of your being? Is your soul kind of feeling that you're steady with God and God's got his hand on you? Or are you kind of feeling like you broke loose from your spiritual moorings and you don't really know which way you're being tossed around right now? How do you become God's best version of you? How do you assess the well-being of your soul? And so some questions emerge from that. Am I growing more excited about what God is doing today? Am I growing more discouraged, more easily discouraged these days? Am I growing more easily irritated these days? Am I finding rest these days? Am I finding edge in my life these days? Edge is all about the stretch point of your life, the, the, the growth point of your life, the, the where's God wanting to take you that would kind of be a surprise to you, but, but he knows you can, you can get there. And he's speaking to you about something, and you know what he's speaking to you about, but you're not quite getting there. Am I finding edge in my life these days? Am I expecting God to show up? Do I really think about how God can show up with intervention, with interaction, with interaction in my life. Now, here's what we're going to do. All these questions change when you put one word in front of each question. And it's a simple word. Where? Put a where in front of each question. Where am I growing more excited about what God is doing today? See, it all changes then. Where am I growing more easily discouraged these days? Where am I growing more easily irritated these days? Where am I finding rest these days? Where am I finding edge in my life these days? Where am I expecting God to show up? Where is that? Where do I need God to show up? In each where question, God has given you a gift. It's in these gifts that God expects us to find our lives and to find him life with him but you have to want the gift you have to hang around people who get what the gift is a community of of gift understanding people you have to know in your soul that you can be more you have to know in your soul that you can be more you have to just feel it when I went to seminary I knew I could be more I knew that I just knew this much about the Bible and I knew that I could know more and I knew I could stretch it and, and I just I was right here I didn't I didn't have a clue really what was between Genesis and Revelation not really a clue and I went to class after class I began to get a picture of it all put it all together like the pieces of a giant puzzle I knew I could be more and sometimes you have to put yourself into a situation that will allow God to make you more when we started Spring Branch I knew we could be more 
I knew we could do things that would wrap our arms around the world. I knew we could have a place where people could bring faith and life together. I knew we could have a community where children could be really cared for at every stage of their lives, where adults could grow in their understanding of faith and life and bring it together 24-7 all the time so that the preeminent thought of your life was, how is God in this day? How is God speaking to me this day? There are three big gifts when you look at the category of the gifts God gives. The gift of success, the gift of pain, and the gift of wisdom. The gift of success is God saying to you, I want to see you be successful in every way. I want you to, to see that you have been blessed in so many ways, not because of just the fact I want to give you success. I want to see what you're going to do with success. What are you going to do with it? Is it going to turn inward and be about you? Or is it going to turn outward so that you know you may be a CEO, but you're really a servant of the kingdom of God? You know that you might be a person who does this or that in the marketplace, but you're really a servant of Jesus Christ. You might know that you are a, a health care provider, taking care of people, but you're really there as part of the hands and the feet of what God needs to do in people's lives. I want to give you success because I want to see what you're going to do with it. And I told this story before, and I'll just tell it briefly. The moment when I got to walk up to Ted Turner, and I had seen him before in an interview with Barbara Walters, and Barbara had asked him this question, what is success like for you? You have achieved so much success. And here I'm standing right before Ted Turner, at the, the ballpark in Atlanta, and, I, and I'm thinking about the Barbara Walters interview, and he looked at Barbara Walters, and he said, success is an empty bag, but you got to get there to know that. And somehow I began to, to, to realize he, he really hadn't figured it out. God didn't give him success just for success, for whatever he could do, wherever he could go, whatever he wanted to buy. God gave him success to see what he would do with it. It's an empty bag unless you figure out what you're going to do with it. And the bag becomes full and overflowing once you figure that out. Pain. The gift of pain drives us to the very heart of God, drives us into God's heart. C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's great megaphone. It reminds us that, that we don't have the resources, the physical resources and or the mental resources and sometimes not even the financial resources to deal with the, the pain that's in our lives. But each of us gets a lesson, a gift of pain that God says, this is a gift. What are you going to do with this gift? I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day and he said, Michael, I had this dream, and the dream was all about pain. And, and I woke up, and I felt like I had to write a poem about pain and how, how pain helps us to learn things. And I said, when you write that poem, please give it to me. I want to hear what this lesson is that God's giving you. I want to read what God is speaking into your life about pain. And God says, here's a gift of pain, and it's designed to have you hear me better. It's designed to drive you into my heart in a deeper way. And there's a gift called wisdom. And wisdom is about having an understanding that's beyond an earthly understanding. Not just knowing the answers, but knowing how all the pieces fit together 
in a way that might not even look logical, but that reveals the character and the nature of who God is in that moment. And here's the thing about these gifts, the gift of success, the gift of pain, the gift of wisdom. They're only gifts if they drive you into the heart of God. They're only gifts if they drive you toward God. There's three ways to not receive these gifts. We start living according to expectations God isn't asking of us. Living according to expectations God never asked of us. We start living by judging what other people aren't doing for us, which means we let our demands drive our days. We demand you, you do this. We demand you do that. I demand you make me happy. I demand your life pay off at the level that I think it should, it should pay off to me emotionally. And we can't live according to those demands. Demands don't work. We don't receive the gift in the demands. We don't receive the gift when we're living according to expectations. God isn't asking of us. And we don't receive the gift when we start living according to circumstances that derail us rather than by prayers that define us. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, said there are five great questions in life. What will be the center of my life? That's the worship question. What will be the character of my life? That's the discipleship question. Who are you, who are you following? What will be the contribution of my life? That's the service question. What will be the communication of my life? That's the mission question. And what will be the community of my life? That's the commitment question. You see, all those questions revolve around the gift. They all revolve around the gift that God's giving. And this one about, about community, what will be the community of my life? And he didn't use the word commitment. So that word, commitment, is my word. Because what I've come to learn about community is that at the end of the day, it really rides on the rails of commitment or it doesn't ever go anywhere at all. And commitment means, one person once put it this way, one of the most famous writers and Christian thinkers of the 20th century said, community is always where the person you like least lives. Very interesting concept. Put it this way, community is always where the person you have a struggle getting along with lives. And, and we all know that wherever you go, I read all the stuff on the you know, stuff that comes out of corporate America. I read the stuff that comes out of church blogs. I read all kinds of stuff about people and, and staffing and, and leadership. And if there's one core to it all, it's like we are really hard to figure out if we're called by the name people. And, and there are so many struggles that people have in the arena of interpersonal relationships and management and leadership. Uh, and, and, and you know, when you go home for Thanksgiving and everybody sits around a table, you know that there's that, that one family member that's the, the problem person. You're going, they're gonna be there. I know they're, they're gonna say something. I'm gonna punch them. You know that they're around the table. And so you look around the table to see if the problem person's there. And you know what they say, if you don't see the problem person, you are the problem person. I had to tell that joke. I had to, I'm sorry. It's not Thanksgiving yet, but I had to get it in there. Community is all about commitment. And, and there's a great quote from psychologist Dr. Larry Crabb, uh, who wrote a lot of amazing books in the 
70s, 80s, 90s. He said this, when we pursue the satisfaction God provides more than we pursue God, we get neither. Think about it. When we pursue the satisfaction God provides more than we pursue God, we get neither. He says you can either move around your problems, here's your problem, and you can sort of move around it, or you can get absorbed with your problems, and, and, and you can just sort of think about them all the time and worry about them all the time and ruminate on them all the time. But it's never going to get you where you really need to go because to get there, you have to know the gift. And the gift he gives, the gift God gives, is always himself. And so Larry Crabb summarizes, we will walk a very different path if we move through our problems to find God rather than around them in denial or into them to the point of absorption. Our primary purpose is not to use God to solve problems, but to move through our problems toward finding God. In other words, God is in that journey. God is in that process with you. So what's your velocity these days? Is it defeating you? Is it derailing you? Or is it somehow accelerating the growth of your soul? Don't run so passionately after enjoying life that you miss knowing better the one who is life. The gift he gives is always himself. Without that gift, there are no other real gifts. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him, so that people will wrap their minds around him, wrap their arms around him, live in the, in the whispers of the Holy Spirit moments of their lives. Where are the things by which one measures one's life? These are the things. The gift he gives is always himself. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for a moment like this morning when we could just get back to that intimacy idea, the vine and the branches, the idea that we can find our lives by losing our lives, the idea that we can find true rest when we let you become that rest in us and through us. So Father, help us with the interactions and the interactions. We give you all the, the intervention opportunities that are necessary to declare the glory that is your glory and the majesty that is your majesty. Father, call us to the moments when you need us to do something and call us to the moments when we need to see what is broken inside of us so that we receive the gift of you at work in us. Father, put your holy hands upon each person now. For we ask this in Jesus' name.